0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello, it's this week's Liverpool.com podcast. It's Dan Morgan, Joel Rabinovitz, Matt Addison and David Lynch uh, on this momentous day. And where else to start? Both Alison Becker's 94th minute winner at the Hawthorns after Liverpool beat West Bromwich Albion 2-1. Um Matt, it's 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 ecstatic, it's it's boys on stuff The coin of Barry Davisism. It's um, it's in many ways essentially Liverpool in the in the maddest sort of Liverpool way possible, you could imagine.
2: Yeah, the maddest thing possible in the maddest possible season, I think, isn't it? It's Alisson Becker's biggest save for Liverpool. Just kept them in it, really, hasn't he? I mean Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it's hard to, to put it into words, isn't it? Even, you know, we're recording this nearly 24 hours after it happened and you still can't quite believe that it did happen. I've watched it back a few times now, obviously, and every time it pops up, you, you click on it and you go, it, you know, it, he's surely not going to score, is he? But then he does. And yeah, it's, it's just one of those moments that I think as long as Liverpool get the job done, and that is the important thing, they've got to, you know, conclude this season and, and get themselves into the top four. But as long as they do that, it's it's just something we're going to talk about and and remember and it's going to be one of the iconic things not just for Liverpool but in terms of of the Premier League and football more generally I think it's it's one of those moments that you just every time a goalkeeper goes up you think surely not surely not but on this occasion thankfully it was the case It, it does go in and it's a brilliant header as well. It's not even like a a, scu- a scuffed effort. It's an absolutely perfect technique to, to head it in. Yeah, you, you feel for Nat Phillips just an inch in front of him because it could have been his moment. But uh, yeah, Alison Becker, it was.
1: I mean, Dave, we, we, it's important to say we weren't here last week, so we haven't spoken about Manchester United. And I think that's important to say, as Matt references, that in both of those games, we've been able to enjoy it again. And we've been able to enjoy, you know, Liverpool looking like they're enjoying playing football. Liverpool attacking well at times at Old Trafford. And then you go through the, the game against West Brom and at times it's, you know, it's, it's agonising, it's pulling teeth and it's it's back to the some of the feels that we've had throughout this season. But the way in which it ends and the way in which the last two games have ended, we've just been reminded, I think, about what it is we actually get from this team and this manager at its best. And yesterday's ending was stuff that none of us could ever begin to sort of envisage in terms of how you would want a game to finish in a perfect scenario. But at the same time, I think the wider picture is important, regardless of how the season finishes, is that in those two games and despite how bad the season has been, we've had a reminder of just how good it can get.
3: Yeah, I think on your point about enjoyment I, across the ninety minutes, I'm sure a few Liverpool fans yeah. might dis- dispute that one. To be honest, yeah, yeah, two two stressful games back to back. There, I think, but um, do you know what it was that I think you, you look at so many games this season that have been similarly stressful and then have had a, a gut punch at the end, and, and absolutely, you know, conceding the late equaliser, or you know, I'm thinking Brighton where they give away that late penalty, or, or Leeds, or, or Newcastle United, those games where. Liverpool have been on the edge and it's been tough. But you're thinking, oh, just get through this, just get through this. And obviously then it's ended in disappointment. So you just look back on those games with nothing but you know, sadness and disappointment, really. And and for, the, for these two back-to-back, for them to have that payoff of... of obviously, it wasn't a winner in, in Salah's case at Old Trafford, but it felt very much like it with, with United pushing for an equaliser. Just the, the brilliant payoff of, of that celebration. And then to go to West Brom and, and, and win it in the way that he did, it's just, yeah... A little reminder that football isn't always completely cruel because I think this season sort of felt like a, you know, a, a bit of a test for Liverpool fans after how much they've enjoyed the the three years prior to that, and uh, yeah, it's just nice to see that the the look is slightly t- turned a little bit, and I think that comes into even little VAR decisions going their yeah. way for once has been nice. Yeah. It's been a nice change, Um yeah, so that that just feels massive, and you just like Matt says, I think these moments. They have to make sure they get in the top four now to turn these moments into part of that story, to, to make sure that you don't look back on it with any regrets. Or, you know, it, it can be that Alisson moment can be made even bigger if it's a goal that gets them into the top four and back into the Champions League. I think it would be such a waste if they, if they can't just kick on and, and make that happen.
1: Yeah, we'll come on to that a bit later. I think you're completely right, by the way, in the moments um, that are going for Liverpool in, in the sense that, you know, I think Nath Phillips not getting a penalty against Manchester United doesn't become a defining factor, for example. Or, you know, the the, the West Brom disallowed goal, which was rightly disallowed, isn't sort of given contentiously and, and we're all wondering why it wasn't this morning. And I think those one of those things would have really kicked Liverpool down and probably put the final nail in the coffin this season. I mean, Joe, we, we had a chat this morning um about about the moments and about what we could write about today on the site. And, you know, we both referenced that in many ways. This is, this is kind of, um, it's, it's, it's an embodiment of Klopp and Liverpool. It's an embodiment of, of the moments that we will look back on and, at this manager's tenure and say, these are alongside, you know, Adam Lallana at Norwich, Divock at Everton, the obvious ones, Barcelona at home. These are the moments in which, you know, you'll know, you cite that this manager took us on a journey good and bad um, and like you rightly referenced yesterday was a game that you know wasn't Liverpool playing for the Premier League title or a European Cup it was, it was a game which could help them finish in the top four but still it felt it felt so important it felt massive and it felt like part of Klopp's journey
0: Yeah it's a real kind of lesson I think about goal in what actually kind of matters in football because we've always kind of been told And people always say that trophies are kind of the ultimate currency of success, really. And obviously, we've seen Liverpool win the biggest trophies they can win um, under Klopp. And I honestly can say I don't think I have felt a rush for any goal like that. And I include the ones against Barcelona. I include Rigi against Real Madrid, Lovren against Dortmund, another one. You referenced Alana against Norwich. I think that one yesterday, for the context of what we've been through this season with, them, you know, us for work, writing about repetitive 1-0 defeats, 1-0 draws, all the supporters at home who had to watch all the games kind of by themselves, not have the communal experience of kind of heralding this team as champions. Then to go into that game off the back of a United one um, and then for it to kind of peter out to a 1-0 draw, it just would have felt, it would have been so hard to stomach really because then you go into Burnley and Palace relying on other results, but probably knowing that the best you can hope for is Europa League, realistically um, and yeah that I, I just can't quite recall any other moment in my football watching life really that compares to it because it's not only the fact you've seen goalkeepers score I think it probably happens what every five or six seasons you maybe get one in the Premier League but you never get them scoring a header and you never get it in the 96th minute and you never get it in a game which is must win and could define a season like that and especially given obviously the personal tragedy that allison has been through this season the impact that will have had on him, the way he spoke afterwards, um, the reaction as well of his teammates. And you've got players there, like I don't think I've ever seen Salah react to one of his own goals like he did. He was kind yeah. ballistic. Yeah. Thiago was pretty much in tears on the floor. Firmino was was going crazy. Nat Phillips as well, oh. who's obviously been a huge part of the story this season. It was, yeah, it was quite something. I don't think we'll probably ever see anything quite like it again.
1: It's a really important point to mention, mention the measure of the man and, and he's clearly gone through incredible turmoil that i think is rightly none of our business in many senses but i think what deserves noting is that it's been played out on such a public stage because he's had to go to work and and his version of work if you like is is performing in the public eye every week in front of thousands upon thousands of people and you know when we talk about characters and when we talk about people who and footballers who you know we can relate to joel there is, there is a sense with this Liverpool team that, despite not knowing them and despite never being able to to know them as people, you can really relate to them as as honest, hard um, hardworking and and, and decent, looking people from from the vantage point we have as as, as supporters as people who invest in a concept of football and footballers. It's it's quite a unique thing. Definitely, there was a really nice
0: interview. I don't know if you've seen with Robertson after the game yesterday, where he speaks about the impact that the thing with Alison's father had on the whole squad because obviously they're, they're all so close and as much as it obviously impacted him the most it's it's something that they've all gone through and obviously there's quite a strong Brazilian Portuguese speaking contingent in the squad who are obviously close off the pitch as well so they'll have felt it they'll have known what that goal meant to him and yeah it's, it's been difficult with Alison because you obviously you want to analyse the performances and the footballer and he has had some poor moments this season. Obviously the Man City game stands out where he kind of is responsible for two goals in, in a couple of minutes and there's the penalty against Burnley as well. And There's been a few hours where his distribution has been questioned and you want to kind of assess the footballer but then it's also impossible to kind of imagine having to do your job where you know that every single minute detail is going to be analysed afterwards. That, that must be so difficult and yeah, to see him is really refreshing. You don't often see footballers speak that kind of raw, really, in front of a camera about something that is is so personal like that. And it, it was nice to kind of, you could sense the relief, I think, in him because he's not, I don't think he's done any interviews really since it happened. Um, it felt like a real sort of cathartic moment for him as well. Um, and yeah, so pleased after the season he's had. And yeah, just got to hope that they do it for him now in his last two games because, you just want to be able to look back on that at whenever the end of, of Klopp's tenure is. That will be kind of one of the landmark moments if it does keep him in the Champions League for next season.
1: Matt, what did you make of the game itself? Was you of the opinion that it was, um, it, was, it was clearly a difficult performance for Liverpool in certain aspects? It was always going to be. But did you feel like they were unlucky not to sort of have the game out of sight given some of the chances they had second half? I think I counted this morning there was... 13 attempts in the second half and three on target uh, there's the obvious one with, with Trent on his left foot that you think the goal's gaping and you know there's other bits in there too I mean how do, how would you sum up the performance in general
2: I think it was pretty similar, to be honest, to a lot of performances that we've seen in this calendar year in that Liverpool did OK, as you say, there was lots of good things. I think Thiago was, was excellent at, at creating the chances, but it just never quite felt that they were going to do something. I think when Alisson does score, it was kind of like, well, nobody else was was seemingly going to do it. I think when Aldum had a chance about 60 seconds before that, that he should have done a little bit better with and it. It just felt like one of those days, really, that Liverpool had tried everything and, and nothing really had come off. I mean, even the Mohamed Salah goal kind of came from nothing. It wasn't a clear-cut opportunity. It wasn't one where they'd sort of fashioned a chance and and he'd finished it perfectly. It was one that was kind of a a bit of a snapshot, if you like, and it it was just a difficult performance all round. I think Liverpool made it slightly more difficult for themselves. I think there was a few sort of scary moments at at the back, if you like. I think, you know, maybe Rhys Williams did slightly better than than Nat Phillips. Quite often it's been the other way around, I think, for, for Liverpool in recent weeks. But, there was kind of there was enough there to think that they could just snatch a goal. Obviously, no one expected it to come in in the way that it did. But there was there was kind of chances coming without any real conviction, and that, as I say, has just been the story of of Liverpool's season in front of goal, particularly. I think so. It wasn't it wasn't a perfect performance by any stretch. It certainly wasn't the worst that they've played this season. I think there was certainly very positive bits. I think Tiago was was probably the pick of those positives, but there was never really any conviction in terms of, of watching that game that you thought, you know, there, there was never any kind of inevitability that they were going to score. It It kind of felt like if they were, it would have to be something a little bit mad I know I was was speaking to a guy who obviously it works on, on blood red with us and he was kind of saying, well, do you just throw a Rigi on with 10 minutes to go or, or just do something mad and, and just try and change something? Because it, it didn't quite feel like it was going to happen in the end. Obviously it happens in, in a mad kind of way. And, and that, Basically, was was what had to happen. It, it didn't ever feel likely, but Liverpool did, obviously, in the end, just about find a way to do it.
3: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I think that's important to note, Dave, isn't it? That Liverpool are they're stumbling over the line, no matter how you look at it. You know, Ozan Kabak. Now we know one play for the final two games. Diego Jota is rolls out ruled out for the rest of the season. I, I mean, this. If you look at this squad now on paper in terms of who's missing, it's absolutely horrendous. And you see yesterday that, you know, okay, Genie Wijnaldum comes on quite late in the game, Jaden Shakiri is the only other change. You would imagine with a, a fully fit squad the manager would have made the final change and maybe done some some activity from the bench beforehand. Um but he's clearly feeling hamstrung by who he has available and doesn't at the moment, who he can sort of rely on to get him through the last games. And I mean, it, he really is banking on a, a group of sort of twelve to fourteen players, we always need to get him over the line.
3: Yeah, and I suppose to be honest, that that's no bad thing in, in this period, just because the you know we, we're two games left, aren't we? I suppose you know tiredness now we're that close to the end of the season and and the the goals are, are so uh, are so close that I think you know I, I don't think that's a major issue it is it is just in those games when you think in terms of being able to change things off the bench I presume you know Jota could have even started that game couldn't he if he was available yesterday um, but if not that would have left you with one forward option on the bench that would a really really high quality and a guaranteed source of goals and Liverpool no they're not they're not going to have that now. Um, I think Shakiri, for all his qualities, is, you know, sometimes his sub appearances, he, he can be a bit rushed in in his play sometimes when he's brought on to sort of find that little extra touch that will bring Liverpool a goal sometimes. I thought he was a bit like that yesterday, to be honest. And yeah, it, it, it's going to be difficult with the options he's got. I think his biggest worry will be about what's happening at centre half, the fact that he knows that between. You know, across those two remaining games, that he's really going to have to protect Nat Phillips and Reese Williams. And I thought, yeah. I, I thought that game yesterday was probably the first real obvious sort of game where it's been clear where their weaknesses are, and, and it's the first time really that the team has has regularly exposed them over the over the course of a match. I think Liverpool have been quite good at sort of mitigating for that weakness for a lot of the games, whereas. You know, West Brom were really good at sort of turning the centre halves, getting them running out wide and, and pulling them in behind into the areas where the fullbacks would typically be, and then trying to expose that space. I thought I thought Liverpool did well to sort of limit West Brom's chances, to be fair, but it but it, you know, there were moments where they looked uncomfortable. And I think that's as much as anything, I think that's probably his biggest worry as you know, particularly going into Burnley, is, is those centre halves and and that's gonna be a, a huge test of them. But you know, what they have got. Available to them is is still a lot of quality. You know, you still start in that famous front three in this in these next two games, aren't you? You've still got you know a midfield that's starting to really function and look good, particularly Thiago. I thought his, his last two games are probably his best for Liverpool so far, in my opinion. Um, so you know you'd like to think there's enough there, wouldn't you? And I, I think that's the way Klopp, you know, being as sort of positive-minded as he is, he, he will be looking at it as well. He's just it's just maybe that little worry at centre-half, but he'll think he's got enough there to protect that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of key performers in this run, Joel, who, who are clearly sort of willing Liverpool over the line. I think you can put the goalkeeper in that. Uh, but I think, you know, and Thiago, <clears throat> Mohamed Salah, who's been a consistent throughout the season. I think, you know, at, at each individual times, they would all sort of deciding that they need to drag Liverpool a little bit over over the line and, and give a little bit more um, as individuals. And, and that's needed from this squad now. And it's going, to be, it's going to be needed in the final two games too that, you know, hopefully maybe another player can, Sadio Mane, for example, can say, well, you know, I'm going to get hold of this game tonight and and I'm going to make sure we don't lose. I'm going to make sure we win. Um, but you, you look at Thiago and Trent in particular in the last couple of games, I had a look today, from yesterday, I mean, they they pass to each other the most, um, as opposed to anyone else on the pitch. For from a Liverpool point of view, um, and, and and when you watch the game and and when you study it, the eye tells you that a lot of what they're doing is progressive. A lot of what they're doing is is the right pass, and and it might look rather basic, but it's a pass that you know isn't. It isn't leaving a player going backwards to retrieve it. It's it's two yards in front. It's it's telling a player where you want him to be. It's putting information on the pass, and, and they're doing a lot of the right things. But yesterday, in particular, I thought Thiago's use of the ball and his his calmness on the ball, in particular, was was superb.
0: Yeah, I thought he was great again yesterday. Um I mean, the whole thing about him not getting an assist that one in the first half, where there's a lovely piece of interplay, where I think Fabinho puts him in on the right hand side and he cuts it back and was one of many chances that Liverpool should have done better with. Mane kind of has the goal, whole goal really to aim at and his, his body position is a bit strange and he he ends up sort of firing it past the near post instead sort of a cross goal and it would have been an easy finish if he'd done that. But yeah, Thiago, it just felt like everything was possible really when he had the ball. He, he's I think noticeably in the last couple of games against United and, and yesterday he's been on the ball higher up the pitch, much closer to the front three. I think that's been quite clear. Obviously having Fabinho back helps that um, and there was one point in the second half as well where it, he feeds it in behind between the West Brom centre-back and left-back to Trent and it just looks like it's a little bit overhit. but Trent is is ready for it and he he just gets it on the byline and he ends up trying to hook it back and it gets cleared I think in the end but brilliant ball and it just felt like those two in particular really were just not standing for the idea that Liverpool weren't going to win. Um, I mean Trent there was a report this morning um, from the Athletic saying that Southgate still probably isn't going to take him, um, which is just, when you consider how influential he's been over the last couple of months, really, I'd, I'd say he's, he's not only been one of Liverpool's most kind of consistent um, performers over this period since the results have picked up, he's up there with the best players in the league at the moment. Almost every single game you come away thinking he could have easily had two or three assists. And yeah. the, the guy's playing right back and it's it's just, it's, it's crazy watching him thinking that there's an England manager there who's going to take three players in his position and potentially not him. Um, Not to kind of get sidetracked on the England thing, but I think just to kind of put into context how good he has been. um, I think we've, we've seen really since, I'd say even before the kind of March internationals when he was left out, he'd started to pick up a little bit then. And I think he's just continued that now. He's got something like five or six goals or assists in his last seven appearances, which is just, is crazy. And you go into the last couple of games talking about players who produce moments and, and drag the team over the line. You think he, even though he's ostensibly playing as a fullback, is, is as likely as any of them um, to win the game that will get Liverpool into the top four, hopefully. You wouldn't be surprised at all if it's a Trent free kick or a Trent corner against Palace, which proves the difference, or against Burnley. Um, and I think, yeah, having Thiago there is, is so useful getting him into those positions where he can hurt teams.
1: Yeah, Matt, I mean, we're looking at the the, the pitching now, as I said before, we're, we're going to stumble over the line in terms of having bodies there to to get into the squad. I mean, Jürgen Klopp said he's hopeful he can get Alex Oxley-Chamberlain and James Milner back. Milner feels like a big one, I think, for, for Wednesday and Sunday. You know, if he can get him on the pitch at some point in both games, I think that'll be massive um, in terms of just what he can bring to Liverpool in any game state in any game situation but you know is it I guess what I'm asking is is it is it unreasonable in some ways to expect Liverpool to win the next two they're quietly as Joel wrote about last week one of the informed teams in the league in terms of their points from the last sort of 24-27 but you know these aren't easy games and I'd even put Palace in that with all due respect even though Liverpool beat them 7-0 this season um. A Burnley away despite how rancid they were against Leeds is a game with supports in the stadium they'll be up for and haven't already beat Liverpool this season feel like they can get something from
2: Yeah there's no doubt about it There's there's two difficult games that Liverpool have got to get through and you know, as I think Joel said before, I think that the weakness of, of Liverpool's centre backs kind of aligns with the strength of, of what Burnley and Crystal Palace really with an inform Christian Benteke there. You know, you know what they're gonna do, they're gonna put balls into the box, they're gonna try and, and split the, the centre backs. I thought it was interesting what Allardyce did last night with you know with free kicks when the goalkeeper was taking a a free kick in and around his own penalty area. They sort of split the defense so that the centre backs and, and the full backs of Liverpool were sort of stretched all the way across the pitch to try. Try and exploit those gaps and and try and get the flick-ons and I would imagine that that's something that that Burnley and and Crystal Palace have have taken note of I think if you can stretch this Liverpool defence there is an opportunity to to sort of get in behind and and cause them problems but it's up to Liverpool to, to sort of step up and they will create chances against these teams as much as you're slightly fearful of, of what they could do to, to Liverpool's back line. I mean, if you are Burnley, as you say, having just been so poor against Leeds over the weekend, if if Leeds United can score four goals against Burnley, there's no reason why Liverpool can't create a, a similar number of chances. So for me, it, it comes down to to the issue of, of what Liverpool have had so far this calendar year of not taking the chances when they come. If they do that, if they fall, say, to, to Salah rather than to Mane or Things just go in liverpool's favor in that regard you can see them winning both of those games and to be honest i said it before west brom if liverpool can't beat west brom or they can't beat burnley do they deserve to be in the champions league probably not so i think with the the two games in front of them that they've got on paper they should win them i'm reasonably confident that they can do that and and find a way across you know to, to get through these games just because you do feel like they will create enough chances. There's enough players there playing well. I think we've seen enough from Thiago, from Salah, from Trent. It only takes sort of three or four moments from from three or four players in a Liverpool shirt, and that should be enough for them to do it. So can they do it? Yeah, absolutely. Should they do it? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not going to be easy.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dave, that, that, that's... That's a given, isn't it, with Liverpool? It's not going to be easy. They're not going to make it easy uh, for themselves. Um, they never do. And I, I think when we're sort of talking about Liverpool, drawing on experience from winning the, the Champions League and the Premier League and, and, and the general club journey, I think one thing that will serve them better than most is, is the concept of just worrying about yourself, just worrying about doing your own job and not getting caught up in... The mathematics, you know, the the concept of we might need this result if this happens and we might need that result if that happens. Liverpool will have a job to do themselves and and like Klopp has said, they need to put themselves in the best position. So they've been really good down the years at focusing on the next game and, and they've got it now. For as good as that moment was yesterday, already be looking at Burnley and saying, Well, like like the guys have said already, if we don't get the job done here, then has the potential to be in vain.
3: Yeah, I, I think in terms of focusing on on the job at hand and, and knowing what results you need and things like that, I just I just can't imagine this squad with this level of experience and quality getting caught up in that idea. I think I think I'm right in saying that if, if Chelsea lose, then Liverpool could against Leicester, then Liverpool could maybe get into the top four, couldn't they? With the draw at Burnley, and then they would know they only had to match uh, Chelsea's result on the final day, maybe, but. I just don't think that comes into it because I think Liverpool will know that anything that can go wrong will go wrong this season is absolute proof of it. So, you know, don't be going to Burnley thinking you can get away with a point and then, okay, we can just beat Palace at home because it's just not going to work like that. You know, something will go against you. You'll get some sort of VAR madness or another player will limp off injured or a goal will go in off someone's backside. So... I think that their job is 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 clear, isn't it? It's it's just to go and try and win these two games, and it, it and they will be very very difficult. You know, you, the elation of of yesterday's maybe already subsided, and you're already looking at that trip to Burnley with with fans in, with a little bit of trepidation maybe. So, yeah, I think they just know it, it's get as many points as as humanly possible from both these games, and and that will hopefully be six. And if you know that if they do that, then. Only some sort of freakish goal difference swing will, will deny them in a place in the Champions League. So yeah, it, it it makes the job obvious. And plus, you know, like you say, you alluded to the club journey as well. There's so many of these players were involved in those top four chases when prior to Liverpool winning the Champions League. So I think um, you know that that will hopefully help them get over the line. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool
1: Echo. Just to come back to you quickly, what what do you see as being the implications going into next season, David, in terms of the next two games. You know, is it going to massively swing one way if if they do make it into the top four or they don't?
3: Well, I think I think for next season, I think it's obvious that you know Liverpool, for example, are making absolutely no secret are they, of the fact that that they've got an interest in in Ibrahim Mkhitaryan at Leipzig, and that one of the big considerations about that deal is whether they can pay. His, his release clause in a lump sum, which, which Red Bull would ask them to do. Um, Now, it's quite clear, isn't it, that if they do qualify for the Champions League, that they will just go and do that because that you know gives them certain financial guarantees. Um, It doesn't mean that if they don't qualify for the Champions League, they won't do it, but it becomes a more difficult decision to do it. So, you know, I think that's one of the early obvious implications for next season. I think the fact that they're going to be guaranteed European football or, or the... It, it, it would be very unfortunate to miss out on European football from here. I think would would mean that you know, uh, oh in fact, actually, are they guaranteed European football? Just to check, I think it, it, am I right in saying if, if Everton can't catch them, then maybe they would they would be in the Europa Conference League anyway. I think I don't think Everton
1: can catch them. Now, yeah, so to be I think, honest, I think I'd they, they would be guaranteed
3: that. European football anyway. So I think that that means in terms of building a squad, that's a positive. Just in terms of knowing. You're going to need a certain amount of players um, and it makes it easier to put a, a big squad together. That even if they did miss out in the Champions League, they could do a season of Europa League and then it would sustain them to hopefully get back in the Champions League that season. So I think that makes things easier. But yeah, I think I think Michael Edwards will be watching these next two games with a lot of interest, just knowing that it makes his job of putting a summer together that will restore Liverpool to challenging for titles much, much easier. Um, and, and you know, not not worrying about cutting deals and and, and you know paying payments up front and small instalments. I think it just knowing that you've got that guarantee of, of revenue is is absolutely massive for a club like Liverpool who can't rely on the you know the wealth that maybe a Chelsea and a Manchester City have got.
1: Yeah, I mean Joel that that's it's a good point, isn't it? That Liverpool will need to plan. I mean they'll also need to plan around the squad they've got now. Um, and I think if you you know, if you look at yesterday, for example, there's no Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, Kabak, Henderson, Milner, Oxlade, Kite and Jota. And that feels like it's been the story the whole season. You know twenty points out of twenty-four in that sense, and and carrying injuries in the way in which they have is, is a massive it's a massive push from Liverpool. Do you wonder whether there's gonna be a fair few of them maybe Carrying the burden of this season into next, and and potentially then having to be sort of considered in terms of not a heightened injury risk, but you you know you wonder whether there's there's going to be some knock ons for the likes of Robertson next season, who is going to go to the Euros with Scotland, has played what seems like every minute of a really condensed and, and hectic schedule season this season for Liverpool. They they're going to have to bring in new players, regardless. I think is what I'm getting at here, and and they're going to have to find a balance between who is you know, who is fresh at the right time and, and depending on the competitions that they're in.
0: Yeah, I mean, Robertson's one. If you'd said at the start of a season when they'd signed the specialist back up, left back that Robertson would end up, he's, he started every league game so far and he's obviously going to start the last two, um, which is, is mad. That can't keep happening because Klopp was quite clear last summer that he, he said about him and Trent that will kind of impact their careers further down the line if they don't kind of have a way to rest these fullbacks at some point. Um, but he's not the only one. Um, Henderson, to be honest, is one that worries me a bit, especially with reference to the Euros. That same piece that mentions Trent potentially not getting picked says that it's quite likely that Southgate will take Henderson, even though he's obviously going to miss the remaining games for Liverpool, which just feels like a big gamble because he's been out since February, I think it is, with the groin injury, which he obviously had surgery on. There's a second season in a row that he's kind of missed most of the run in because um, he obviously got that one against Brighton at the end of last season um, so he missed the final a few games of that one and hes I had a look at his injury numbers over the last few seasons, Henderson, kind of on the quiet even though you don't necessarily regard him as injury prone in the same way that Cater or, or Sturridge used to be, he has missed an awful lot of games and he's, he's only getting older obviously, he's, I think he turns 30 or 31 this summer. Um, one, he's, yeah, he's one who they are going to have to I think, manage quite carefully and pick his games next season. Um, the other question as well, in terms of just looking at summer business and, and players are kind of jaded and tired. Um, Mane and Salah obviously are up there in terms of minutes played this season, but they've got the afcom uh, in January and February as well. So Liverpool are going to need a plan because you can't envisage a scenario really. If we're hoping that they get rid of, not to say get rid of, that sounds insulting, but if they get good money for Origi and Shaqiri this summer, you can't really be going into kind of a month of next season with what Jota, Firmino, Harvey Elliott as your potential kind of front three feels like we need to do something there, and obviously that impacts on who they sign because players like Basuma, who have obviously been heavily linked, you've got to account, but you wouldn't have him for a whole month of next season. have another name people keep talking about at Salzburg again would be at the Afcon, so yeah, there's there's a lot of kind of planning ahead to be done there, I think, and some of these players will, will kind of benefit, I think, from a full summer off.
3: I just think on the, to come in on the midfield point. It's an interesting one, particularly with Henderson. I think because going into this season, I think earlier in the summer there was a point at which it looked likely that or possible that that Alden might have gone to Barcelona. That they might have put in a bid in for his, you know, a year out from his contract. Obviously, would have been able to get in fairly cheap for what he is. Obviously, likely to wait, and it's one of his possible destinations this summer, I suppose. But the idea was that you know. At, Liverpool were saying that maybe they wouldn't bring Thiago in unless one of the midfielders left. The, the, the yeah. idea was that they were maybe going to wait for those two things to line up. And what they did instead, obviously, was to to not sign an extra centre-half, and they have been linked with a few of them, um, and, and just pack out the midfield and think that they would be able to use Fabinho as an auxiliary centre-half whenever they needed him. But going into next season, I actually think there's a case to be made, and I think Liverpool possibly would agree with this, to, to you know, even though why going is not to just go with your current midfield numbers as was the initial plan, I think they will need to add to replace him. In, in terms, you know, you think they've been linked to Eves Basuma at Brighton, who, who I think would be a fantastic signing, uh, someone like that, and sign a centre half as as well, because I think they'll look at Henderson, like you say, quietly got a, 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 an injury record that's maybe slightly getting worse. Obviously, as well. we know his problem, yeah, only getting mm-hmm. older. Oxley Chamberlain's injury record isn't getting any better either and there's no guarantee they'll be able to generate money by selling him this summer. So I think I think it is a point where they'll they'll have to think, okay, maybe we do have to it's not necessarily in Klopp's instincts to do this, but maybe we do have to pack out a couple of positions that we wouldn't usually do because of those injury records, because they just they don't want to ever be in this situation again where they, you know, a season is ruined by injuries.
0: And that feeds all back into having European football, which we can kind of quite safely say they'll have at least Europa League now. I think it's very unlikely that they don't, Um because then, yeah, if you do pack up certain positions in the squad, there are going to be games where you can use players and just keep them kind of sharp rather than just leaving them on the bench. Whereas, yeah, you say if they had missed out, which kind of only a few weeks ago looked quite likely, then it becomes a case of having to cut down on numbers this summer, um, yeah. purely because you couldn't keep a huge squad happy so in that sense it's it's really useful for Liverpool's plans going forward.
1: I think finally Matt I think a lot of this will come down as well to things that we don't know so you know we know Klopp is, a, is an analytical coach he's he's one who works in numbers as much as what, is, what his eyes tell him but you know Liverpool have done incredible work around sports science around data analysis around nutrition. Um, and they'll have a lot of information on why these injuries have occurred this season why they are so persistent why they've been so serious um, and how they can maybe Im- impact and improve that going forward if someone like Nabi Kaita, for example you know you-, you would imagine that the the recruitment around uh, is it Andrew Schlumberger who they they brought in earlier on in the season as head of recovery you know you'd imagine there'd be conversations there around Kaita, as an example as to say well you know, why does this keep happening at the times in which we really need him around and times in which he's not getting any momentum from playing games, but at the same time he's getting injured when he's not in the fold. And Liverpool, I think I think the guys are right there. Liverpool can't have a situation like this happen again. They've they've got to they've got to study it and they've got to they've got to use reasoned, you know, analysis on on the debrief of this season. That goes beyond merely just signing players and selling them and saying so that we play replace one with the other and, and hope that the you know injuries stay all right for us. They, they've got to go ba- basically scratch beyond the surface a little bit and see see why this is happening and how they can stop it.
2: Yeah, I've no doubt that, that that will happen. I think they'll have already started that, to be honest, the, the process of looking back at, at injuries and, and things that have gone wrong this season and learning those lessons really going forward, just in terms of, of maybe it's been a, a slightly different workload this season. Maybe some players have, have had to play more minutes, uh, certainly than what they would have done because of, of knock-on effects. And I'm sure they will learn those lessons. And in terms of, of someone like a Cater or a Chamberlain, I mean, that links into the other aspect. It's not just transfers that it would sort of be important to, to get into the top four. It's in terms of contracts as well. It's in terms of, I think there's eight, nine, ten players who've got two years left on their deals, Cater and, and Chamberlain. This summer are two of those players. I think, you know, that's hugely important in terms of, of working out what you do. And I just think in terms of, of the whole sort of refreshing of the squad, the, the moving one or two players on, bringing a couple more in, I think if Liverpool had have missed out on the top four, maybe that would have been slightly delayed. It's certainly not as easy to, to move players in and out. I know Jurgen Klopp would always say, well, the, the transfer plans wouldn't be impacted if they were in the Europa League compared to the Champions League. But I think it's it's hard to, to believe that that would have had no impact whatsoever. I think that there are certain things that that will have changed. And in, just in terms of, of the long-term plan, I think it, it becomes significantly easier, obviously financially, but in terms of, of other aspects as well, in terms of, you know, bringing players in, moving them out, trying to sort of sort out your squad, not just for, for next season, but moving forward because I think that there are a lot of, of big decisions to be made on, on players this summer. I think, Navigator is is probably the, the obvious one to pick out, but the, there are others that have been at Liverpool long enough now that you've got a kind of body of evidence to suggest that if their injuries have been this severe to this point, they're probably not going to suddenly improve and, and get better moving forward. So, yeah, the, there's loads of, of big decisions, but getting into the, the top four in the Champions League, I think certainly makes a lot of them a lot easier to make and, and certainly sort of reduces the gamble moving forward.
1: All right, this, that's been this week's show. We, we certainly hope Liverpool can, can do it and make the, the Champions League and, and we'll be back next week to discuss whether they did or not. But for now, a huge thanks to Joel, to Matt and to David. We're all off to watch Allison Becker's goal to the theme music of Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Um, we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.
0: You've been listening to the Blood
3: Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.